So we're just days from the end of counting the Omer. Shavuot, celebration of getting the Torah, is just days away. Yeah. One of the traditions is to read and learn Pirkei Avot, the sayings of our fathers during this period. Today, I'm thrilled to have with me Rabbi Gershon Albert from Oakland here on Mindful Work. So Rabbi, in a nutshell, one thing we think we should take away from learning Pirkei Avot during this time period. Awesome. Hey, Dan. It's hey. great to be here with you. Thanks awesome. so much. Um, yeah, so as I think about um, Pirkei Avot, there's often just, I reflect on the first chapter of Pirkei Avot, broadly speaking, and how we often kind of pick out little pieces of it, just as an example. We often quote the second mission about how there's three pillars to the world, that the world stands on three things, and those three things are Torah, which is study of Jewish text, and then Avodah, worship originally in the temple, and then later of prayer, and then Kamilut Chasadim, acts of kindness. And what I think we often ignore, though, when we study that text is the is the context in which it was taught. And the actual first chapter of Pirkei Avot, what I find so fascinating about it, um, right, Benny Lau talks about it in his book, All the Sages, is that there's actually a historical transmission from teacher to student, teacher to student, through each and every one of those Mishnayot. And if you kind of pin down who's the person teaching it, you can actually learn a huge amount about Jewish history. As an example, um, that Mishnah is taught by... I think we can look it up right here. I think it's Shimon Hatzadik, uh, Shimon the Righteous One, who the Mishnah tells us um, was of the remnants of the Great Assembly. Uh, the men of the Great Assembly were kind of these proto-rabbis during the Second Temple period, and they set the foundation of rabbinic Judaism, Judaism as we know it today. And I think a lot of what was motivating his thinking um, is that the Temple had once been destroyed. And the Jews were kind of in a uh, difficult position at the end of the Second Temple period, around the year zero or so. And all of a sudden, um, what do you do if you're faced with the possibility that Judaism might have to s- survive without its central geographic locator, which is the Beit HaMikdash, the temple in, in Jerusalem? And he started to think, well, maybe there are other ways that we can prop up this world on three pillars. And those are study, uh, worship, and kindness. And that context just makes all the difference. Um, so we'll uh, we'll get into that and more with the great rabbi from Oakland, <laughs> Rabbi Gershon Albert, here on Mindful Work. Uh, you've tuned into Mindful Work, again, a place where we can think about uh, all the great Jewish learnings through the years, but think about them through the lens of how we can apply them from work. Awesome. Let's do it. What happens when a CEO, a shrink, and a rabbi start talking about mindfulness at work? Just about anything. Thank you for joining us at Mindful Work. You can learn more about this podcast at www.mindfulwork.show. And now, Mindful Work presents the author and clinical psychologist, Rabbi Dr. Benji Epstein, tea industry executive and award-winning educator, Rabbi Jason Rosen, and your host, Dan Cohen, CEO and founder of Full Court Press Communications. And now, a Mindful Work conversation hosted by Dan Cohen with a special guest. Enjoy the show. So, Rabbi, the, tell us just in a, a big picture. You know, we're, we're thinking about different tools and different learnings. What is this Pirkei Avot, these sayings of our fathers? What is this book? And, and maybe how can we think about some things that we can take from it um, to apply in the workplace? Yeah, thanks, Dan. Um, so this book is one of the tractates or uh, books in the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a grouping of rabbinic texts that were written down around the year 200 of the Common Era and were collected during the 200 years before that. Um, 
And so it's really the foundation of um, Judaism post-Bible. Uh, we have the, let's say, the Jewish Bible, some people call it the Old Testament. Um, and in the years after that, there were collections of teachings from uh, what from the rabbis, um, and they taught a lot about law. Like that was definitely a focus. You know, there was this need to preserve the way that Judaism functioned um, in a code and um, through legal text. But then there's this one exception to these many, many tractates of law or books of law, and that's Pirkei Avot, uh, which we often translate as Ethics of the Fathers. Um, and they kind of wanted to give their... <laughs> Dan's taking a picture of me. Uh, they kind of wanted to give their greatest hits of, you know, how do you live a meaningful life? Um, there's the letter of the law, and then there's the spirit of the law behind it. And this is a book that talks about the spirit of that law. So the spirit of the law is really... Um and I think what, what intrigues me as a CEO who has to run a business, who has to serve clients, a lot of that law isn't the law as it descends from on high. A lot of it is thinking about – certainly the law is, is divine in origin, but it is focused on how we react man to man yeah. or person to person. Um, as you think about some of the, 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 the tractates here in the sayings of our fathers – yeah. Uh, you know, there's certain some there's greatest hits that people have heard through the years. Maybe you could help, maybe recite a couple of those, and we could think about how maybe they could be applied in in sort of people's daily lives, or really more importantly, in their daily interactions at work. Sure, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, you know, I think in part this this one teaching we just studied before um, is really powerful in that um, we're often we often pigeonhole ourselves in kind of one sphere, yeah. and that becomes our soul and core identity. So. Um, I'm sure many of us, well, I'll tell you as a rabbi, for me, you know, I'm a rabbi of a synagogue and that definitionally makes me do a million different things. Sure. But many times professionals find themselves just saying, okay, this is my one area of focus. Right. Um, and in doing that, they're forgetting that there's other paths in which you can find fulfillment professionally, um, and personally. And I think what's beautiful about this teaching is that, you know, there's these three pillars. I often think of it about as about it as a table yeah. and a table can't really stand on two legs. But if you diversify, if you create different avenues um, to create value, to create, um, if you're looking at a bit better, more personally to create meaning in your life, you know, sometimes our professional life is only one avenue, but there always has to be one, two other areas that bring us a sense of fulfillment. I don't know if that's exactly the area that you were thinking about. Well, I think it's an interesting question. You know, I think so many people go through life and they have a job that, may support their family but isn't satisfying. Yeah. Um, or they may have a job that's incredibly satisfying. Uh, I'm thinking I'm, I'm the son of a Jewish professional. Uh -huh. um, and that wasn't really a necessarily a well-paying job. Yeah. Um, but I know that my mom took great satisfaction in serving the Jewish community. And so she stood maybe on that avoda or on that service piece sure. um, that you're talking about. And remind me the third piece again. So it was um, – so what were the three pillars again? Study. Study, okay. Some of us are like naturally born intellects. Some of us love to spend our entire day mining data. Um, I have a brother who's a consultant and a lot of the beginning stages of his career mm -hmm. were just spent really understanding data sets and how to use that information to help other people. Um, so that maybe like broadly speaking is Torah. That's study um, of text, study of data, study of science. Um, then there's worship, you know, in a spiritual context that's, you know, how do we connect to the divine um, in a prayerful way. Um, and then there's just acts of kindness. There's kind of the horizontal level actions that we take between us and our fellow human beings. Um, and there's a certain diversifying in just those three acts. You know, I, I often think, um, 
that study in a Jewish context is about us um, receiving, kind of taking things down from on high. Uh, God blesses us with these texts, and it's just our job to reach up and, and drag them down. Mm-hmm. And prayer, on the other hand, is us kind of trying to give something up to God. It's mm-hmm. raising our hands up. Um, and then that's like a, a vertical relationship. And then um, kindness is the horizontal, right? And you, you need to have different axes to really feel whole. Um, if you're only spending your time on a kind of vertical structure and you're not investing yourself in the world around you, then you're also lacking. Um, and I think in terms of finding meaning or, con- you know, meaning or context, um, avoda giving back to community is one form, but if you're only giving to your community and you're not focusing on your inner sense of self and worth, um, and the meaning that you can find in a spiritual connection, then, you know, sometimes that's a lack of being anchored in this world too. If my co-hosts were here, my yeah. co-hosts are, as the you know, co-hosts. my uh, rabbi, <laughs> rabbi Jason Rosen, T executive, award-winning educator, um, and Rabbi Dr. Benjamin Epstein, who's written a book on Jewish yeah. mindfulness coming out this fall. One of my um, mentors, I, I owe him an tr- uh, entire set of books. Okay. <laughs> Let's put those to work. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that, that um, Benji said on, in one of our earlier programs was kind of thinking about the definition of mindfulness. And, yeah. and one of it is sort of acting with intention and acting in the moment. And I wonder, as you think about this lesson of Pirkei Avod and, and these three pillars, um, how do you maybe bring that together with this idea of mindfulness? These, as you were saying, the, the avoda, the yeah. worship, the, um, the three pillars. How, how, do, how do you think about that in terms of being mindful, in terms of being in the moment? Yeah, that's awesome. If you don't mind, I'll bring it back to the kind of the idea of context. Please. That there's that lesson itself and then there's the context of the person who said it. And when I think about mindfulness in the work I do, often it's being present with the kind of unspoken realities around whatever situation I'm in. So if mm-hmm. I'm um, if I'm doing pastoral counseling, which is not quite a therapy session, but it's not so far off either. You know, there's the conversation I'm having with an individual where they're bringing up a challenge or a problem. But then it's always really important to know well, what brought them to this place. You know, what's motivating um, this conversation beyond just the words that they're saying to me. And when I think about that importance of context. Um, it, it sometimes actually can, um, the context, being mindful of that context, let's say if it's someone who I know um, has been struggling uh, with faith, and then they come and want to talk about um, an educational issue with a child. Um, well, how does their own relationship with faith and religion impact the struggle that they're having with the, with their child? That's just an, one of many examples of where context can be really helpful. And mindfulness for me is kind of trying to take in the whole person, both the words that they're communicating to me, but also uh, the situations around those words that have brought them to the conversation in which we find ourselves. Um, I just want to, I just want to reflect back to you that that's exactly the same when counseling an employee. Uh-huh. Um, or counseling a, 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 a professional services customer. Yeah. In, in a professional services customer environment, you're always listening for the information behind the information that you're getting. And as a, as, as a service provider, oftentimes we, we think we're the answer man, mm-hmm. but in reality, we're the question man. You yeah. know, we actually do our best work, not when we're giving out, doling out answers, but when we're actually asking the question to, under, to, un, under, um, to discover 
kind of the what's behind the what's behind what the person's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and in an employment situation where maybe there are two employees in conflict or an employee who who may not be happy about his or her situation, yeah, oftentimes it's it's the lack of presence, the lack of understanding. Either that person's not being honest with with him or herself about the situation, yeah, or maybe you as the boss aren't being clear about what the situation is, or maybe looking at it through your lens instead of his or her lens. Right. Yeah, and that's that, and that is mindfulness for me. It's being present in the moment and all the nuances and complexities that have brought you into that specific space in which you find yourself. Um, you know, talking about um, our working lives. Um, and the importance of being mindful of context. Um, you know, the the other reflection that I had around it um, is what what to do when work isn't meaningful. Oh wow! Um, and it's an idea that I've reflected on. Um, some of us are fortunate enough to find um, careers or jobs that have brought us a huge amount of meaning. I think you know we we've known each other for a while, and it seems like a lot of the work you do is just totally up your alley from a personality perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, and I I feel fortunate that my work brings me that same satisfaction, but no one loves their job a hundred percent of the time. And that mindfulness of context of why you do what you do, um, can sometimes be the solution to feeling like you've had a meaningful work week at the end of it, even if you didn't love all the work you were doing Mm -hmm. and feeling like you're kind of miserable. Um, so for me, like an example of that, um, comes from a Hasidic teacher, uh, in the late 18th century. And um, so this is really one of my favorite Hasidic teachers, Rabbi Menachem Nachem of Chernobyl. Uh, he's an original student of the Baal Shem Tov, who's sure. a founder of this kind of countercultural movement in the late 1600s, early 1700s. And um, his origi- one of his original circles, students in his original circle, um, wrote a book called Me'ore Naim, which means the light to the eyes. And uh, it's a beautiful book. And it really speaks to a specific worldview in Judaism. And he writes about what were often simple um, religious spiritual seekers um, who, in this kind of context, they were often the water schleppers. They were the people who did the um, the manual labor of the community, and they didn't have a great education. They didn't have the um, professional degrees to get them the super, um, the super exciting job. And many of these people wanted to feel like there was something innately meaningful to them. And what this rabbi said that I thought was so powerful was that if you can find a point of meaning in one hour a day, um, for example, if you find meaning in prayer and you spend your morning in prayer and then you're about to go off and um, do dishes in a restaurant for the rest of the day, uh, schlep water that, you know, there's this image of a Hasidic uh, person with a pole and two buckets of water on the side, just, you know, doing backbreaking labor. Um, but if you know that the reason that you're doing this labor is so that you can, um, create a life where that one hour a day you find meaning, it makes it all worthwhile. And he, he says this in a spiritual context that you can actually elevate your entire life to a a vote at Hashem, to worship of the divine, uh, just by being mindful that my backbreaking menial labor job um, is serving the purpose of something higher. And so that kind of sensitivity to context, that mindfulness of what the bigger purpose of what we're doing is, even if it's not innately meaningful in the work itself, um, I thought is so important for those of us who don't always love every minute of every day um, in our professional lives. 
So as we wind down, I'm going to maybe throw a curveball and just ask you, um, in thinking about mindfulness at work and thinking about whether we're water schlepping um, or whether we're writing a legal brief, um, what's a question we can ask ourselves during the day to maybe center ourselves to find meaning in the work we're doing? Yeah. So like a kind of internal reflection point. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's awesome. I think a simple question is, you know, have I taken a moment to improve someone else's life today? Have I taken a moment to improve someone else's life today? Yeah. Thank you. That's beautiful. Um, on that note, I think we'll wrap up. Um, Rabbi Gershon Albert of Beth Jacob in Oakland. If folks want to find you, how do they find you? Uh, sure. I have a Twitter uh, feed at, um, at Gershon Albert and my Facebook page is Gershon Albert. You can look me up on either of those and I'd be happy to be in touch with anyone. And when folks come through Northern California, how do they find the show? Uh, 3778 Park Boulevard, Oakland, California. And it's uh, BethJacobOakland.org? Beth Jacob Congregation of Oakland. Oh, very good. Beth Jacob Congregation yeah. Oakland. Yeah. Um, well, Not to be mixed up with the five other Beth Jacobs in California. Oh, excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, look up Beth Jacob in Oakland when you're in town. Um, Rabbi Albert, thank you very much. A huge yeah. shout out to my uh, co-host, Rabbi Dr. Benjamin Epstein, author of Living in the Presence, yeah. um, and the tremendous Rabbi Jason Rosen, also a refugee like me from Oakland to the Holy Land. Yeah. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next time. Thank you, Rabbi Albert. Thanks so much, Dan. Always a pleasure. Love you, brother. Me too.